0: welcome to the divine self secret garden podcast this is season two on this episode beverly engel and i am your host megan cordovan Divine souls to season two of the secret garden. Welcome back to my garden, everybody. I have missed all of you, but took a well needed break. Wow. Can I just say that um, we just shifted consciousness in the last two months on this planet? Um, for those of you that follow me at The Divine Self on YouTube, you know that we rose into Aquarius in on December 21st, and for those of you that are musical fans and uh, know the musical hair, the opening number is, um, you know, the rise of Aquarius or the dawning of the age of Aquarius, and this song is about coming together as one and as a collective whole, and you know... I've known this for years that all of us, all of you listening to me, that we get into these narcissistically abusive relationships to help shine a light on our shadow side. And you can go back and listen to that in season one, episode one with Jane Donovan or episode 13 with Rebecca Detman. Um, And I talked about that on the podcast, but really shining a light on our shadow side and really truly living in our divine and being our divine self and breaking free of mental, emotional, spiritual, psychological, physical abuse. Right. And um, and I think as a whole, a lot of people are are having a better awareness of um, and a deeper level of consciousness within their, their own selves and also in society and around themselves. And I just, there's been a huge shift and it's lifted really heavy toxic energy the last couple of weeks. And I'm so excited to have season two and to explore all of that with all of you. I have a very exciting season coming ahead and I hope you all get very, very excited have some amazing guests coming on, including today. I have Miss Beverly Ingle. She is fantastic. I read her book when I was in my emotionally abusive relationship, and she wrote the book, Emotionally Abusive Relationships. And um, really she such shed some light on what that is. Beverly Ingle is an internationally recognized psychologist and acclaimed advocate for victims of sexual, physical, and emotional abuse. She's the author of 23 self-help books. Her last book was entitled or is entitled Escaping Emotional Abuse, Healing the Shame You Didn't Deserve. The link is below. Actually, the link to both books are below. Oh my gosh, you guys, this book is fantastic. Even though I'm out of my emotionally abusive relationship, it really shed some light and, and made me dive deeper down the rabbit hole of, of emotionally abusive relationships and really goes into detail kind of like I do and breaks it down for all of you. I highly recommend, especially if you just left a toxic relationship. Um, Beverly is a licensed marriage and family therapist and has been practicing psychology for 35 years. Beverly's books have often been honored for various awards, including being a finalist in the books for a Better Life Award. Many of her books have been chosen for various book clubs, including One Spirit Book Club, Psychology Today Book Club, and Behavioral Science Book Club. Her books have been translated into many languages, including Japanese, Spanish, Chinese, Korean, Greek, Turkish, and Lithuanian. In addition to her professional work, Beverly frequently lends her expertise to national television shows and has appeared on Oprah, CNN, Starting Over, and many other TV programs. She has a blog on Psychology Today, as well as regularly contributing to the Psychology Today magazine, and has been featured in a number of newspapers and magazine, magazines, including uh, Oprah Magazine, Cosmopolitan, Ladies Home Journal, Red Book, Marie Claire, the Chicago Tribune, the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, and the Denver Post. I am beyond excited for this episode. Welcome to the garden today, Beverly. All right. So welcome to The Secret Garden, Beverly Ingle. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I, um, I've um, i been reading your book, Escaping Emotional Abuse, Healing from Shame You Don't Deserve. And I have to say that this is a fantastic book, especially for um, my listeners who are all trying to understand emotionally abusive relationships and, and breaking free of really personality disorders and people with narcissism. And um, you give such amazing tips and tools. But really, I think the one thing I wanted to focus on here with you today is, is really people reach out to me because they don't understand that they're being emotionally abused and they're very confused. And I really want to dig into that. Why, why is it so hard to even understand it or even see emotional abuse?
1: Well, emotional abuse is very, very insidious. Uh, It can be verbal abuse, which can be hard to figure out that you're being verbally abused, but it's usually people kind of get to an understanding that maybe they're being verbally abused, but it doesn't even have to be verbal. It can be eye rolling when you talk, sighing when you talk, you know, when you give an opinion. Uh, shutting you down, dismissing your ideas, dismissing your feedback, Uh, just a general attitude that, you know, they are superior. uh, They're just putting up with you. You know, you're not very smart or you're not very educated. Um, They're better than you and they don't really want to hear what you have to say. All of that is emotional abuse. So it's not, it, it is, can be very, very difficult to figure out plus the fact that emotional abuse itself causes confusion absolutely it, it creates confusion in the person because they may say one thing one time and another another you know they may agree with you one time and then disagree with you they may like what you cooked; they love roast and you cook roast again and they hate roast i mean they can drive you crazy because they're they're shifting constantly They don't, they don't want you to know them. Um, you know, they want you to be in a state of confusion and being off balance. And that's a key, uh, sign that you're being emotionally abused is confusion and being off balance.
0: Absolutely one of the biggest things I always say to to people that reach out to me is if you're walking away from a conversation scratching your head going what just happened or what how did that even get out of control right. or where 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 is this going or why is this anger coming at me that's a huge sign that you're being emotionally abused and there's no closure to a disagreement or they talk in circles and um you walk away feeling not validated worse than you did going into the conversation Right, and there's never any closure ever. Right. Right. And um, it can be really confusing. I like that you have, and you're your always
1: trust. wrong and you're always wrong. They're oh, always yeah. right. And you're always wrong.
0: It's, it's always, it's, um, it's always your percent. You're 99% of the relationship. I don't know how many times I heard that in, in my relationship um, was, you know, you're 99% of the problem. It's you, this right. is all you, you have to fix it. Uh, right. but and there's no willingness to sit down and talk about and fixing this together as, as a couple. And I, I really like in the book in chapter five, you kind of go through details and talk about projection and, you know, blame shifting and love bombing and really go into really good examples of what all of that is, because it's, it's kind of all of it mixed into one when you're being emotionally abused and, um, I think for me, when I was on my journey of trying to figure out emotionally emotional abuse and and really really what's going on, I think those definitions really helped. I, I did a lot of you know watching YouTube videos of different people talking about emotional abuse, but I, I like the way that you um, you break that down, and it was just so so great. But I really want to talk about love bombing because I find that you know as the cycle of abuse goes around and you get devalued and, and discarded and, you know, abuse. And then it goes right back into the love bombing phase. And one of the biggest things that I think is that there's an addiction between the abuser and the victim. Like, what do you think of that? I feel like I got addicted to the love bombing phase and couldn't couldn't ever stop fantasizing about the relationship and really see the reality of what was really going on in the relationship.
1: Well, my experience is that with emotional abuse, there isn't the clear kind of cycle that, that happens with physical abuse. Uh, it can be there, but it's not as delineated. There's not necessarily like a honeymoon, honeymoon phase. With emotional abuse, one of the reasons why it's so devastating psychologically to the victim is that there often is no break. With physical abuse... You know, you get beaten up and you have your bruises and, and, you know, you're hurt and you're you're crying and you feel horrible. And then, yes, there's the there's the honeymoon phase again where the love bombing goes on. I'm sorry. I love you. I adore you. I'll never do that again. And the promises with a lot of emotional abuse, there isn't that break in it. There isn't that phase where I'm all of a sudden loving you again. It's constant. It's consistent just all the time. And we found with research shows that you mentioned personality disorders um, and PTSD, for example, research has found that those people like growing up with child abuse, where um, they were abused and then they got a break, like they got to go see their grandmother or they went sent away to camp and they had a little bit of time to gather themselves back up again and do some healing before going home and getting abused again. Those kids fared better when they grew up than the ones where they grew up in a household where there was constant abuse, physical, emotional, or sexual, and they didn't have a break. They didn't have a grandmother to go to. They didn't have camp to go to. It was just constant. We found this thing to be true with emotional abuse is that Often it's not an attack. It's just consistent putting down, desist, consistent devaluing, consistent complaints. So I'll talk about love bombing. And in some emotionally abusive relationships, yes, it does happen, where the person attacks and you know has a fit and gets triggered and is angry and then goes back into love bombing, which Uh, love bombing is just uh, putting you on a pedestal making prom fantastic promises to you about what they're going to do or what you two are going to do together Um, just totally changing the tone of the relationship and now everything's wonderful they're sorry everything's going to be fine Um, so it does happen with emotionally abusive relationships but I just don't find it happening as much as in physical physically abusive relationships.
0: Yeah. And why, why do you think it is so hard for victims of emotional abuse to just walk away? It, it really, I will have someone reach out to me for years um, and constantly think, I'm going to leave, I'm not going to leave, I'm going to leave, I'm not going to leave. And they can't quite bring themselves to see the reality of what's happening and and make the break to really save their life and 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 live a healthier life outside of this abusive relationship.
1: Well, emotional abuse is like brainwashing. It's like you know, you could lie down and have a few drops of water put on your chest, your, your your forehead, drop on your forehead, and it won't bother you. But what if you're lying down And there's a constant drip, 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 drip every single day. That is much more damaging. Okay. And that's what emotional abuse is like. It's like brainwashing. It's constant. You don't get a break from, you know, either your own internal critical voice that you get when you're in an emotionally abusive relationship. Nor do you get a break from their complaints or their criticism or their jealousy or whatever. And so that's part of why it's so hard to figure out is that you're brainwashed. You're literally brainwashed. And I talk about that in the book of how you need to get deprogrammed when you've been emotionally abused. But the other issue is the confusion we talked about earlier. Um, People who were emotionally abused get very confused. They tend to blame themselves. You know, we know that abusers blame other people for their problems, and victims tend to blame themselves. So they buy into it. That's their part. There is hardly any part, by the way, that the emotionally abused person has. Uh, I don't agree at all that they, you know, encourage it or set it up or anything. I don't see them having any part at all except that they tend to blame themselves. Yes, they, tend, yes. they tend to, you know, in all situations, they blame themselves. So if you're constantly being brainwashed, you're constantly blaming yourself. Um, you're going to get in almost a, like a PTSD state where you're not even present anymore. You know, you've had to to go out of your body to even survive. So you're not even present. You're kind of fuzzy. Your thinking's fuzzy. You have this confusion going on. Very often they get very, very depressed and have a lack of motivation. So if their partner's telling them, you know, you're so lazy. What do you do all day long? You're a horrible mother and you didn't get this done. You didn't get that done. Well, they feel horrible because it's true. They're so depressed. They have a hard time taking action. They have a hard time. Getting the, their chores done, much less thinking about leaving a relationship, having to get a job if they don't have one, having to go back to school, having to figure out a new place to stay, having to figure out what they're going to do with their kids and how it's going to affect their kids and how they have to go to a lawyer. I mean, that all of that is completely overwhelming for somebody who's being emotionally abused. They're already at their wit's end. They're already confused and and depressed and lack of motivation, so it just seems it just seems impossible for a lot yes, of people yeah. to leave. It's just
0: impossible. I know you give me goosebumps as you say that because I go back to um, remembering being very disassociated for the last pretty much two years of, of my relationship, and, and towards the very end, I couldn't even get out of bed. I was exhausted. I couldn't sleep enough. I I had absolutely no motivation to even just take the dogs out for a quick walk was right task. And then, yes, it was all my fault. I was lazy. I need to go see a doctor. Uh, You're the crazy one. Um, You have all the problems now. (coughs) It just feeds into their narrative and goes right into that gaslighting. And it's just, it's, it's vicious. It really, and I think it's life threatening. It gets to a point where you, yeah, you want to curl into a ball and and die and i and the stress like i've seen people with autoimmune disease that get out of of really bad relationships or or cancer breast cancer you know i think the stress just becomes absolutely too much for people and they don't realize it's linked to their relationships
1: yes absolutely
0: you know you go into to shame in this book and you know i want to talk a lot about that because i think shame is what keeps You know, people, people in this relationship, but also the abuser comes from really deep shame. And I kind of feel like they're the perfect match for each other. I feel like the victim carries a lot of shame throughout their life. And that's why they're susceptible to meeting these people later on in life when they get into relationships. And the abuser comes from shame. And I feel like is trying to put on a facade or wear this mask to mask that shame and not have to feel it. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I feel like it's like the perfect dance between the two. Can an abuser change? This is the question, absolutely number one question I get almost every single time I talk to somebody or when people write in on my YouTube channel is, you know, can the abuser change or will they change?
1: Well, I divide abusers up into two categories, intentional and unintentional. The unintentional person could be somebody who's clearly repeating the patterns from their childhood. They're they're acting the way they saw their mother act or their father act. They observed emotional abuse or they were emotionally abused themselves. And they're unconsciously reenacting that. Um, An unintentional abuser, if you can ever get to the place that you're strong enough to actually confront them or tell them how they're affecting you, They will often be surprised. Now, the intentional abuser will act surprised, but the unintentional abuser will actually genuinely be surprised. They will say, I didn't realize that that was emotional abuse, or I didn't realize that I was hurting you so much or damaging you so much. Um, And the unintentional abuser is very much more willing to go to therapy for themselves, not counseling, not couple counseling it's never recommended that in an abusive relationship, you go to couples counseling. It's never recommended. Um, the scenario ends up being that the victim can't speak up for themselves and the is very, very good at charming the, abu- the therapist and, you know, stating their case. And so the whole thing is very skewed. The yes. therapist doesn't get a clear view at all of what's going on. But, Individual therapy for the unintentional abuser can work. I have worked, I still do work with some unintentional abusers who really are willing to get it, to really understand why they they are behaving the way they are. And as you mentioned, shame is a major factor. They have created a mask or a facade uh, where they can hide their shame and hide their fragile sense of self. Um, and they're bent on not being shamed again. I had a client who who said he held his no his finger under his nose and said, "I'm up to here with shame, and I just can't take anymore. And we've talked together and figured out that the way he prevents himself from being shamed any further is he's always on the defense. He attacks first. He doesn't even wait for him, anybody to criticize him. If anybody does criticize him, He just completely shuts them down. He doesn't take in the criticism at all. He can't even take in constructive criticism. Um, So his whole act is, I'm going to puff myself up. I'm going to make myself big and strong and successful so I don't ever have to feel the shame I'm carrying or the fragile sense of self that I have. With somebody who's an unintentional abuser, some of them, will be able to make the connection between their childhood and the present. They'll be able to directly talk about their shame and work on their shame. And if they can do that, then they can change. Okay? The the intentional abuser is not likely to change at all. That's the person maybe who's the narcissist that you mentioned or the person with a personality disorder. When they're told they're being emotionally abused, they they will never admit it. It's like they will never admit they're wrong. You know, no, that's not me, it's you, that whole whole scenario. So they won't admit it and they will refuse to go to therapy. And if they do go to therapy, they probably won't stay very long because therapy to work requires that um, the abuser let down their guard and become vulnerable and acknowledge their abusive behavior and connect with their childhood and recognize where it comes from and get their anger out and work on their shame so that they can change. But that takes time and it takes having the ability to connect with the therapist. Many, many abusers can't connect with anybody emotionally. They can't be vulnerable. So if you can't connect with your therapist, if you can't be vulnerable, if you can't look at your childhood if you can't admit when you've been wrong then you're not going to get help and you know you're not going to get help in therapy and most won't stay in therapy if they're if they're that intentional abuser
0: yes um why is it that a lot of therapists are unwilling to talk to survivors of narcissistic abuse i find that a lot of people will reach out to me and myself included when I sit down and I talk about emotional abuse or I'm, you know, I when I finally started to understand this whole personality disorder and narcissism and I, I go to therapists. I'm like, oh, I think he's a narcissist. And I know that they would, won't diagnose somebody that's not their client. Right. I, find, I, I find that they don't understand emotional abuse and even narcissistic abuse or, 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 you know, some, being abused by someone with a personality disorder and really, all that is entailed in that, and, and how life-threatening it is for people. Why why is that?
1: Well, you know, un- unfortunately it's changing, but unfortunately a lot of therapists don't really know a whole lot about trauma. They don't really know a lot. They don't make the connection between trauma and, and emotional abuse or trauma and physical abuse. I mean, childhood trauma. Um, they're not trauma experts, and they're not experts in personality disorders. They haven't worked with narcissists. I've worked with narcissists. I've worked with borderline personality disordered people. I've, you know, I've worked with all kinds of people, and um, a lot of therapists haven't worked with them or haven't known, knowingly worked with them, and so they're just not educated in this field.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I I, I tell a lot of people that they have to find somebody that either A, understands narcissistic abuse, or even better, you know, going to someone that understands domestic violence, because at least there, they understand what it's like to be in an abusive relationship and somebody that has experience with domestic violence. I find right. is what I tell people to do because, yeah. you know, you got, you want someone that understands really how serious this is when you're living behind closed doors with these people day in and day out. Um, now you know. there's another thing. I
1: don't, don't want to stress it too much, but. You know, there are therapists who are narcissists. <laughs> oh yeah. So, so um, they're not going to recognize it in somebody else. And.
0: They're not going to want to talk about it. I, um, you're right. They don't. They don't want to talk about it. And uh, and also, you have to be careful with whatever friends and family you're talking to about this too. Because chances are, if you're in an emotionally abusive relationship with a narcissist, you come from a long line of, right. of narcissists, and they're not willing to see it either. And I think you know the isolation and the being alone in these relationships and and the loneliness um is really what uh kind of tips people over the edge right it's it's right. that their friends and family just don't they don't get it or the narcissist in public is so completely different person you know you have this Jekyll and Hyde personality that when they go behind yeah. closed doors it's a completely different person than out in public and and people just don't get it and and um, which I guess is why I do this podcast, right? And trying to right. educate people and give people hope that they're not alone and 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 that this is a thing. But um yeah, I don't I I how do you how do you have this conversation with people that don't understand or is it is that even is that even worth it or or what do you think about that?
1: Well, I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer here. I think that if you get the sense that The more you talk to somebody about it, the more withdrawn they become, the less interested they become. That's kind of a clear sign that, you know, I probably should find somebody else to talk to because this person doesn't really understand what I'm talking about or they really are uncomfortable with this topic. You know, it's like choosing, I've written about sexual abuse a lot. And, and I encourage uh, sexual abuse victims to also come forward and talk to people. But I give a real clear list of things to look for and who you choose to tell your secret to. And it's similar to somebody who's being emotionally abused. Make sure you're talking to the right person. If you, if you know that your mother or your grandmother or aunt or your friend uh, was abused all their life, and is still being abused, that's probably not the right person to talk to because they're stuck in their difficulties and they don't want to hear about you you being emotionally abused. Makes them uncomfortable because they're still being abused. You know, you're not gonna help them uh, and not until you get better and leave and maybe try to go back to, to, to help them, although that doesn't necessarily work either, but it's gonna hurt you it's going to hurt you to be talking to this person who's either putting up a wall or who's trying to talk you out of it. You know, a person who's in really strong denial, they're going to want to talk you out of where you, where you're coming from. They're not going to want to listen to you. So if you've noticed somebody who who kind of blames victims, we live in a, a victim blaming culture, you know, and if you've heard your friend or your, mother or your aunt constantly blaming victims she's that's not the person to talk to okay because they have a mindset they have a mindset that victims are responsible for their own abuse they're asking for it or you know they they set themselves up for it you know stop whining and just get on with your life like i did you know i had a horrible childhood too and i had an abusive husband and You know, but, you know, I just went on. I just lifted up my chin and went out there in the world and did what I was going to do. You know, so if somebody with that attitude is not going to understand at all where you're coming from.
0: Absolutely. Um, I find that when um, victims finally find the courage to leave, I find that they go from being really silent in these abusive relationships. They're not allowed to have a voice to where it swings so far the other way. And they kind of get really loud and and really angry and almost in an abusive state. I don't want to say that victims are abusers, but I feel like they go on, on super defense mode. And also there's PTSD involved. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, get this a lot because I think people have such extreme reactions once they're out of this or in the relationship, and then they get abused even more for having these relationships or the, and, or then called the abuser. Right. Um, have you seen, have you seen that in your, in your practice or, or, you know, with, with people that you've worked with?
1: I think that kind of happens naturally when we're when we're getting help and we're changing our behavior and we're healing. We can go from one end of the pendulum to the other or one end of the continuum to the other. We're being inc- encouraged to speak out and get angry. And so, sure, that can happen. I don't see it happening with all people, though. I see some people who have been emotionally abused just gradually – being able to have a voice, gradually being able to speak up for themselves. And it takes a long time for them to get to the place where they can really connect with their anger and really come to believe that they didn't deserve it. You know, they still go, they go back and forth blaming themselves. So they go back and forth having a hard time speaking up. So I don't see it happening all the time, but it certainly can happen. Those extremes can happen. and And people who are being emotionally abused, very often reach their limit and can be physically abusive back or can attack back. They can argue back. It's natural. If you're being constantly criticized and constantly put down, you know, it's natural for you to become enraged and and say things you regret, say, you know, do things you regret. That's why I also focus on self-forgiveness for victims to understand that it's probably understandable why they acted the way they did, whether it was, maybe not being as good a parent as they could have been or be, or relying on alcohol or drugs to cope, you know, um, or, you know, saying horrible things to their their partner or their children, being abusive to their children, being neglectful to the children. Um, all that's understandable because those are the ways that cope with the abuse.
0: Yeah, I see a lot of, of um, alcohol and drug addiction come from, Come from this, um, and that it happens in the relationship, and then it, it's it now becomes a problem for you know victims after after they've left their abuser to just try to yes. cope with everything or just numb it out, and or I think that you got you went into such a numb state in the relationship that you could try to continue <laughs> that numb yes. state outside of the relationship.
1: Right. I mean, one of the things that needs healing probably the most is that numb state. Um, somebody who is constantly being emotionally abused does become numb. They do dissociate and they're not connected with themselves. They're not connected to their emotions. They're not in the present very often. It becomes a habit to get numb. It becomes a habit to, you know, check out. Whenever they feel a little bit of stress in any situation, they will check out. So there's exercises I have them do, grounding exercises, so that they can begin to be present. Often they can't be present for very long at all. I can, I can walk you through an exercise, for example, well I can do that if you want and they will feel, they'll feel connected and they'll feel good for a moment. And then I ask them a few minutes later, you know, if they're present and they'll say, no, I'm not, it it doesn't last very long. So it's really hard to break that habit. So go ahead
0: it's cuz it's such a it's you know i think working and doing a grounding exercise and actually putting your the your guard down inside you know you live in such a fight or flight state for years yes yeah, yes it's it's it really is de, deprogramming of of the brain i i saw a neurologist um you know, about a year ago, and she actually showed me how your brain changes shape when you have PTSD and what that looks like. And she's like, "It's literally you have to calm that area of the brain down, and when that area of the brain is active, other of the other areas of the brain shut down, and and it's almost hard for you to be logical because this the PTSD is so active and the fight or flight reaction is so active in the brain." And um, she's like, "It can take a really really long time to calm." that down and um, that made that made so much sense and even just the behavior that you see in people and the disassociation and a lot of people don't bounce back from it um, or even yes. recognize that, that that's how bad this has become for them.
1: Yes in fact many don't bounce back. Many need to have to, to have a make a concerted effort to come back. Um, so yes. let's just do re- something really quick with the ground okay So uh, feel your feet on the ground. Take a few deep breaths. And when I say clear your eyes, a lot of people don't understand what I mean, but we're just going to move on anyway because you'll get it in a minute. Clear your eyes so that as you keep breathing and as you ha- you feel your feet on the ground, and I'd like you to look around the room and just look for colors. Just notice the color. Oh, that's green. Notice the color. Oh, that's blue. Notice shapes. Notice textures and just let your eyes scan around the room. You don't have to move other than have your head just slightly move around. uh, And just look for shapes, colors, textures. Keep breathing. Keep feeling your feet on the ground. And just do that for a few minutes. If your eyes get foggy, clear them again so that you can see clearly the shapes and the colors and the textures. And keep breathing, and just do that for a minute or so. I've
0: been doing that while you um, while you do that, and that is brilliant, and and um, even just calms calms me down. Just this topic, and you know, talking with you, it, it I still get triggered and think of things, and so I think that's a fantastic exercise and something you could so easily do at work yes. or yes. right in the middle of the day with your kids. Or out with friends, or feeling overwhelmed at the grocery store, or so alone cool. right now during COVID. Um, I find that um, you know the disassociation really kicks in right now when you're alone and isolated, and so it's really nice to like do little moments of grounding and just doing that multiple times a day, I think is, yes. is so beneficial.
1: Yeah, you need to do it multiple times a day. So
0: I would ask the person after
1: they've done this, if they noticed any difference in their emotional state or their physical state. Did you notice
0: anything? I just noticed that when you first, when you when you were doing it and you said, keep breathing, I wasn't breathing. Right. <laughs> so then I was breathing, but I, I felt myself actually calm down. Like I always hold my anxiety in the pit of my stomach, like right. in the pit, that little U shape. And I felt it just slide down. And and I was able to take a deeper breath and that my breathing increased. And I felt more present in my body just yes. um, and relaxed.
1: Yes, yes. That's usually the feedback is I felt much more present. And I felt much more calm. It's a noticeable difference. It just in that few minutes there. So yes, like you said, you need to repeat it over and over during the day because you will, you know, if you have this this tendency to dissociate, you know, right after we've done this exercise and you stop listening to this podcast, you'll do it again. You'll go back to being disconnected again. You know, it's just that automatic. So um, the numb state is one of the biggest things to work on because if you're not present and you're not in your body. Um, for one thing, you're not going to really be able to be like a good parent and notice things. One of the things that victims often have to forgive themselves for is that they realize that they weren't really present in their children's lives. They didn't notice their teenage son was, was addicted to alcohol or drugs. They didn't notice that uh, one of their children was becoming a bully. They didn't know with his sister or brother, they didn't notice that one of their children was getting depressed. You know, they just, they're so checked out that they're not present in their whole life. Uh, and that can be painful, really painful when you realize it. Um, but the connecting with yourself again will help you to now be a better parent, to be able to notice what's going on, to be able to be there for your children, really be there for them.
0: Do you find that, you know, people that are emotionally abused and and you're just talking about, you know, you have a mom that is emotionally abused by a dad and then you have all these kids who have parents who are in this this relationship and really focused, I think, on each other and the mom numbs out, the dad's the abuser and if the mom is present, she's probably focused on the dad and the abuse and all the the things that he's doing. Do these kids tend to grow up and become abusers and or Or victims themselves of of emotional abuse?
1: Unfortunately, yes. It's just exactly like with physical abuse. The kids have two role models here. You know, and that it's not a conscious decision, but it's like I can be like my father and never let anybody walk all over me. And I kind of admire that. That's who I'm gonna follow. Or um, I can't I don't ever want to be an abuser I don't ever want to treat anybody like that so I guess I've got to be like my mother and that's it's as simplistic as that when you're a child okay you can have all other kinds of role models and those can help if you've got some really strong teachers or some people that are very supportive of you it certainly can affect a child but the primary role models are your parents and so yes Uh, Kids who are raised in an emotionally abusive relationship tend to be victims or abusers. It's whichever position felt the most uncomfortable to them that they run away from, you know, uh, and become the opposite. And you see it happening with young children. You uh, literally can see in a a family of several kids, one becoming a bully and one becoming more passive and coming home complaining that people are picking on them. And you know, feeling weak and feeling uh, disempowered, you know, um, it, you see it all the time. So unfortunately, that's one of the side effects, one of the effects of, of being in an emotionally abusive relationship is the damage it does to your kids. And you can think that, and they, I often hear them say that, "Well, we never argue in front of the kids. We never do any of this in front of the kids. The kids don't see it." Well, of course, the kids see it because with an abuser. The behavior is constant. It's not just when you're having an argument. It's, again, the dismissive looks, the eye rolling. So when mom talks at the dinner table, the father is, like, rolling his eyes and sighing and looking at the kids like, isn't she stupid? You know, it's constant. The kids get these signals. They see this behavior. They witness this. They witness their mother, you know, being feeling horrible. They hear her crying. Uh, don't fool yourself into thinking it's not affecting the kids because it absolutely is. And you might, I hear again, well, he treats me this way, but he's a great father. Well, I'm glad he's a great father. I'm glad he is going out of his way in some ways to be kind and not be kind to be there and present with the kids. But if, if he's emotionally abusing you, you've got to know he's also emotionally abusing them. Okay, in, in the subtle ways, in the more subtle ways, dismissing their ideas, having unreasonable expectations, that's emotionally abusive, expecting them to get straight A's all the time. And if they come home with a B, you know, yelling at them or telling them, you disappoint me, you know, going on and on about, you know, I, you know, I need, you know, my kids need to be smart because it's how, you know, it's how I measure my Uh, a competence as a father, or you're embarrassing me by being so overweight, like your mother, you know, it's, it's just constant, the, the unreasonable expectations, the constant criticism, the never being pleased. All of that happens with the kids as well as it happens with the, with the parent.
0: What would you say, um, you know, when parents actually split in this situation, you see a lot of times that the children tend to gravitate towards the abuser because they're being, you know, love bombed and, and idealized right. by that parent to abuse, you know, the victim and the mother in this case. I know that that women can be abusers, too, and men can be victims, but yes. Um, What do you say for that? I find that a lot of people either stay in abusive relationships because they're afraid of their kids now gravitating towards the abuser. Or once this has happened, this is really devastating for people.
1: Absolutely. You're right. You're absolutely right. All too often, the kids gravitate toward the abuser. Um, You know, he feels stronger to them. He feels more successful, you know, Um, they, yeah, they can be love bombed by him. He's really encouraging, maybe, and, and really pushes them to be successful and rewards them when they are successful. Um, and they don't see the darker side of him because he does show just support and love for them. And because he is competing with a mother, uh, that's part of it. So yes, unfortunately, they will, they will often gravitate toward the abuser. Um, and see the mother as weak and even blame the mother, you know, because yeah,
0: then you have him very very covertly saying things about the mother, right? very yes. and and then and then devaluing the mother to the children, and then then the children have no respect for the mother. and I find that yeah. you know it takes until they get into their adult years and sometimes into their adult years, and they end up in an abusive relationship that they don't realize. Yeah. what has happened and the dynamic with their, you know, their abusive parent. And so I know that that's just, you know, one of the, again, one of the number one things I get is I can't leave because I, my, my children or my children no longer speak to me. Um, and they only believe, you know, the narcissist or the abuser yeah. and, you know, what do I do? And I'm like, I, I feel like the more the, the, the parent that's the victim tries to explain this to their children, the worse it gets. <laughs>
1: Well yes it can it can get worse but i do encourage the the abused parent to to talk to their kids because the abused parent is more likely going to have the the kind of thinking that well i never want to talk in a negative way about their father i don't want to be that kind of parent i never want to ter- try to turn them against their father well i'm not suggesting you try to turn them against their father but they need a reality check here so, if you're just remaining silent on your end, and he's over here, like you said, devaluing you and you know depicting you as this horrible monster person, and you never say anything about him, you're just feeding into the dynamic. you're just letting it happen again. So you do need to sit them down and say, "Look, you know there's yes, there's two sides to a story, and you know, as you get older, you'll figure things out on your own. But I do want you to know that I was being emotionally abused by your father and explain to them what emotional abuse is and tell them the types of emotional abuse your father did to me. And my part in it was that I wasn't strong enough to leave. My part was that I was raised by a emotionally abusive father. And I just repeated that pattern, explain it to them. What be honest kids can, can, Understand a lot more than we think they can. Explain the dynamics that happen. Um, And I assume maybe that you hear a lot of negative things from your father about me. I ask that you come to me and check it out before you believe it. Come to me and say, you know, dad said that you're an alcoholic or dad said that you were cheating on him the whole time. Come to me and check it out. And I will, I promise you, I will be honest with you. I will say, if I have an alcohol problem, I'll say, well, I'm not an alcoholic, I don't think. But I did drink too much when I was with him, and I am getting help for that. And no, I never cheated on your father. That's not true. You know, I think that it's really important that kids see the whole picture. Don't protect him, and don't think that it's going to harm them to know the negative things about him. They need to know the negative things about him. Because one, number one, he probably is doing some of that with them, maybe not as overtly as with you, but he's going to do that kind of stuff with them. Uh, And number two, they need to have the truth. They need to see reality. You know, we've understood what it's like to not have the the truth validated (laughs) all of us for the last four years. You know, it's crazy making. And it's going to help your children to understand what's going on. You know, if you talk to
0: them, yeah, I think that's that's amazing advice, and and you're right, and it, it gets them to start to see this pattern already, and hopefully, not repeat it as an adult yes. as well, and set them up for success, and and really, I think that's key. It's just part of breaking the the cycle, right? Yes. Well, Beverly, I have had a wonderful time with you. How um, can people come find this amazing book, Escaping Emotional Abuse?
1: Well, you can find it on Amazon or any online bookstore. Uh, I, I encourage you to try to buy it from an independent bookstore online, uh, but you can get it from uh, online with any bookstore. Uh, you can go to... Um, I have two websites. One is www.beverlyengel.com. That's E-N-G-E-L. And um, you'll learn a lot more about me. You can't really order the book. I don't think. Maybe you can. You can order the book from there through Amazon. And then I have another website called Heal My Shame. And I really recommend that you go there. There's dozens of articles and blogs and and quizzes and things like that if you want to focus on your shame. Um, and you can connect with me through both of those websites. Um, but generally speaking, you can get the book just really anywhere.
0: That's great. and I will be sure to put the links to all of that below in the episode notes. Um, but I really appreciate you coming on here and you are just wonderful and you have even you know changed my life with with the many books that you've written and and even now, after being out of a, an abusive relationship for quite some time now, but reading this book, it really shed some more light. And I think even peeled back more layers for me. So thank you so much for that. Well,
1: well you're welcome. You're welcome. You're a great interviewer. And it just felt like a conversation. I was really comfortable. So you have a very nice quality there.
0: Well, thank you so much. I uh, hope to have you back soon.
1: Okay. All right. You take thank care. You, Beverly. Okay.
0: Bye. Thank you again, Miss Beverly, for joining us here in the garden. For those of you who want to get her book, please click below, Escaping Emotional Abuse, Healing the Shame You Didn't Deserve. For those of you new to my podcast, you can come find me at The Divine Self on YouTube or at The Divine Self on Facebook and Twitter. On next week's episode, I have David Yusefia, an attorney based out of Los Angeles, here to talk about dealing with a narcissist through the legal system and to talk a little bit about the criminal system and the different courts and how to maneuver through all of that. David is a fantastic attorney and I'm so excited to have him on. Until next time, have a good evening.